this is Kisa Shreen. Today on the show, we're featuring another interview from our Net Zero Conversation series. The series was recorded at the Net Zero Delivery Summit, hosted by the City of London Corporation in association with the COP26 UK Presidency 2022 and the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, also known as GFANS. As always, we love hearing from you, so reach out on social media or at our show inbox, fmt at lseg.com. Now over to Jane Goodland, Group Head of Sustainability at LSEG. Nigel, welcome, and thank you for joining us on Net Zero Conversations. So, Nigel, you are the high-level climate action champion of the United Nations. Can you tell us a bit about what that means in practice? Yeah, it's a, lo- it's a long title, right? Um, well, it's a role that was created as part of the Paris Agreement. So, you know, Paris was a real breakthrough when we really agreed the, the North Star of getting to zero and a mechanism for ratcheting ambition. But what the 196 countries who agreed the Paris Agreement also recognised was that National governments can't do this on their own. It needs to, mm. We need to mobilise the whole of society. So they created this role to work with non-state actors, so finance, private business, cities, states and regions who all have resources and sometimes rulemaking powers or innovation capability, but implementation capability. And, and so the idea is to work with all of those non-state actors to drive ambition and action in support of the Paris Agreement's three pillars, getting to zero, building a resilient future and mobilising the finance to do that. So talking about finance then, what's the role in your view of the finance sector to really help governments get to this transition going? Well, you know, we know that we need about another $2 trillion a year. That's just in emerging markets, about three and a half globally by 2030 to, to invest in the zero carbon future, which of course is a much better and bigger economy, like about $25 trillion bigger by 2050. But national governments, again, can't do it on their own. About 70% of that will need to be private finance. So private finance needs to be, I mean, I would say a, a kind of a, a, an innovation partner in driving that finance, not just, not just an execution partner, because some of that investment is in areas that we haven't invested a lot in, in the past, in, in investing in adaptation, um, which is a different kind of cash flow profile, investing in emerging markets, which haven't been major investment destinations before. So it's both the delivery of the capital, but it's also the intellect to help design solutions which use limited government capital, both locally and multilaterally, to create the conditions to crowd in a lot more private finance to solve the problem. Mm. And so COP26 was termed the finance COP. What progress have you seen since COP26? Well, I guess it, it called the finance COP maybe because of the launch of the Glasgow Finance Alliance for Net Zero, which, which Mark and I launched in April last year. And we brought together to do that the, the Race to Zero, which we'd launched the year before to create a um, sort of robust platform for mobilizing economic actors to get to zero. And we used that sort of robust entry criteria of a credible commitment as the entry criteria for GFANS. And then GFANS, of course, collaborates over a lot more than just those. But you know, most of the GFANS members, the 450 plus who we had by Glasgow, only joined between our launch in April and Glasgow. So the number one thing we need to see from GFANS members is fulfilling their Race to Zero commitment to actually then publish their plans that are in line with the science of getting to zero by 2050 that represent a fair share of halving emissions by 2030 and the plans to get there sector by sector. And of course, the shape of those differs whether they're an asset manager or uh, an asset owner, a bank or insurer. But that's the main thing we need to see. And that's 
that, I'd say for the individual members is the main bit of work that's been going on, turning mm. the headline commitment into an actual plan. And then, of course, at GFANS, we've been putting the team together, which I think we stood up pretty quickly since the COP and have been working on quite a strong agenda of implementing plans, advocating for the kind of changes needed in multilateral finance to, to do more what Mark calls carbon leverage, to get more climate finance out of a pound or a dollar of multilateral or bilateral public money so that we get more private money in. And in particular, to focus on how do we mobilise the capital needed in emerging markets, which mm. is one of our big challenges. And that's what I wanted to pick up on, really, in terms of how, in real terms, can we attract private investment into markets, into areas or technologies that perhaps historically haven't really attracted that type of interest because, for whatever reason, it might not be kind of seen as an attractive investment. How do we overcome that barrier? There's, I think there's multiple things that need to change, right? Of course, it depends on what the sector we're talking about investing in and, and what the geography. So we need multilateral finance, which is limited, to be more focused on leveraging in private finance rather than crowding it out. Mm. But we also need private finance to go exploring in countries where maybe it's written off for 10 years or 20 years or 30 mm. years, right? Because we know that an awful lot of the infrastructure investment in the world that's going to be needed to get to, well, that's going to happen anyway, and that will need to be uh, done in a, a net zero compliant way if we're going to get to net zero. It's going to happen in emerging markets. Mm -hmm. So if, if international private finance does, doesn't go in, then we'll have a lot of bad infrastructure built, which is going to exacerbate. I mean, there's a few things that need to change. The, 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 the way that the limited amount of public money, you know, multilateral finance is deployed, needs to be more focused on leveraging in private finance, what Mark calls carbon leverage, rather than just deployment. We need to stop hearing about how much money the World Bank is deploying and more talking about how much they're bringing in altogether. So instead of getting a one-to-one -one leverage ratio, they're getting one-to-three. And, and a lot of that will be about using that money to both de-risk, so de-risk some of the things which may be increased the cost of capital, like currency risk or policy risk, mm -hmm. but also to help create the capabilities needed to turn a project pipeline into an investable pipeline. And so some of the things that we're, that we're working on as a GFANS community right now are on some of these specific country platforms. And in fact, I've just had several conversations here today with bankers and, um, and ministers about the difference between a project plan for energy transition and an investable pipeline. And that needs some investment banking skills and as well as some perhaps asset, asset owner requirements to make sure that that what may be technically a very competent plan turns into an investable plan. I mean, one of the things that comes to mind for me is some of the big pension funds saying that, you know, unless the ticket size is, over, is several hundred million, because they've got such big pools of capital mm -hmm. to deploy, they won't enter the game. And so if you, if you present a $10, $50 million project and their minimum ticket size is 200 million, they'll say, well, thank you, but I'm, it just doesn't meet my minimum criteria, mm. even in terms of ticket size. So if they're not involved in the design. Yeah. So I think it's smarter use of limited multilateral capital. It's building capacity. But it's also about bringing financial actors who've not perhaps invested in Africa into Africa to learn that maybe the, actually the risk is maybe lower than they thought. I mean, the risk is always higher for something that you, have, that you don't actually know mm. about. If it's kind of like Egypt or, or, or Nigeria or Kenya, who are actually quite sophisticated and a long way along their, um, their transition planning and already attracting significant amounts of investment, but need a bigger pool of capital mm. to draw. So I think it's also about educating the, the, the international financial community about the, about, about the bigger opportunities and the lower risks that exist yeah. in parts of the world they might not have played. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th I think we're seeing kind of innovation in all pockets of, well, real economy sectors as well as finance sector. And 
voluntary carbon markets spring to mind. Is that something that you can see as one of the ways that we can get finance flowing around the system in, in a more efficient way? I don't know about more efficient, but it's it's um, a bit more distributional in terms of mm. Global North investing in Global South. Yeah. Because, of course, most of that investment will be in nature-based solutions like restoring mangroves or, or, or restoring um, degraded land. And most of those opportunities are in the Global South. So I think large and liquid, which will mean have to mean robust, like very high levels of standards on the supply and the demand side, I think are going to be a part of that architecture that allows us to deploy more private finance in emerging markets, yes. Mm -hmm. And a final question, mm -hmm. if I may. Uh, we are looking at COP27. In your opinion, what would be the one thing we really need to make that, that summit a success? I think the thing that we really need is a very strong sense that is evidence from both deals and commitments and policy changes that finance is starting to flow in emerging markets that is driving development as well as driving the race to zero. It's mm -hmm. not an either or. Yeah. And I think that if we, uh, the Egyptian government are very keen on making this um, uh, all about implementation, not about new commitments. I think mm -hmm. we still need new commitments because not everyone's got enough ambition, but the real thing we need to see is actual evidence of change on the ground in some of those vulnerable countries that are both the most susceptible to climate risk and have the biggest development opportunity ahead of them. Absolutely. Nigel Topping, thank you very much. Thank you. We invite you to subscribe to the Refinitive Sustainability Perspectives podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you stream your content. What did you think about the podcast? Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for updates on our show. Thank you for joining and see you next time.